Well, amen. Thank you, choir, uh, and uh, thank you for being here today. I want you to take your Bibles and open up to the book of Joel, chapter 2. Joel, uh, chapter 2, that's where our text will come from uh, today, and if you don't know where that is, it's on page 1,140. Right. Um, but to find your place there, and while you're doing that, let me mention something to you that uh, our, uh, our churches in our community here in Dothan are being asked to participate in uh, law, law Enforcement uh, Appreciation Day. Just a few weeks ago, uh, we were asked to join, and many of us did, to participate in a rally for unity at Ripuse St uh, Stadium. We're also now asking for our churches to participate in Law Enforcement Appreciation uh, Day, and that includes, of course, uh, sheriffs and state troopers, policemen, uh, firemen, EMTs, those folks. And here's what uh, they've asked us to do, and so I want to ask you to help us with that. Uh, next uh, Friday, July the 10th, at the uh, Wiregrass uh, uh, Center for Public Safety, they'll have a, a special uh, meal for law enforcement and the folks that I've just mentioned, along with um, uh, some, some programming uh, and a tour of that facility. It's a pretty remarkable facility. From what I understand, I haven't seen it. But the public is invited. You're invited to go by there and uh, take that tour, and uh, I hope and encourage you to do so. But the thing that they've asked us to do individually is to write notes of appreciation to law enforcement, our firemen, uh, all of these folks. And so I want to ask you, would you take some time in the next couple of days, buy a card or something, or write a letter, doesn't matter, of appreciation to those. You, you don't have to know people by name, but just... Uh, uh, kind of uh, generically your affirmation appreciation get them to the church by Thursday and then we will deliver them so that they will be distributed to those uh, who are involved in uh, um, really kind of first responders uh, sort of thing and I think it's a wonderful thing for us to do uh, I, I've heard from a number and morale is very low and so I, I'm uh, I encourage our churches to do uh, this. I'm glad that, uh, that we, we are, and uh, I want you to be involved in that process as well. Also, by the way, we have uh, um, Chuck, hold up and model the, uh, um, what is it, disinfectant spray pens with the Ridgecrest logo on them. We've helped the mission organization with this. That's a, someone based really out of our church, and these uh, pens uh, are full of disinfectant. Um, they really are kind of like uh, mace. You know, if somebody gets too close to you, instead of using it on yourself, just spray them, all right? And uh, so you're too close to me right now. Uh, let me also remind you as uh, we leave today, and Chuck will encourage you, uh, let's leave orderly uh, as you go out. Um, you know, we still want to take very seriously social protocols right now, social distancing, all of those things are important. Uh, and so uh, help us with that. And I would also mention, um, as you, he'll remind you, but uh, it, rather than gather in the uh, foyer there, if you uh, gather, how about doing that out in the, the uh, uh, parking lot uh, in those places instead of just kind of stopping right there in the uh, uh, foyer. Everyone is authorized to use their disinfectant on other people if you stop in the foyer, okay? So... Uh, help us with that, if you will. Now, you've already looked at your worship folder, and uh, if you have, you've seen the outline that I'm going to share with you today, and I want to tell you something. Don't panic. This is a two-parter, 
all right? So uh, I, I just want you to know that. I'm going to give you half of this message today and the other half uh, next uh, Sunday. But I thought it appropriate uh, on this 4th of July weekend to talk about something that is a burden on all of our hearts, and that is the current state of affairs in our nation. And many of you have been asking me about the Last Day series. Pastor, when are you going to continue the Last Day series? And the Lord interrupted that series with the faith chronicles that I really believe he has wanted me to share with you in this time of how to live by faith in days of uncertainty. And I still have another message or two in that series that I will pick back up on in a couple of weeks. But because of uh, this 4th of July uh, setting, I thought it appropriate to talk with you about America you see, I've entitled the message, America, Is It Too Late? And uh, I want to, to hopefully give you some insight from Scripture on that whole uh, subject. I'm certain that most Americans, as I would think you are too, are concerned about the current state uh, of our nation. I think many people are anxious. Uh, many people are scared. They're scared uh, because of uh, social unrest. They're scared because of the COVID-19 and they're scared because what will this ultimately mean in terms of vocation and uh, economics and all of those sorts of things. And uh, uh, many are wondering, do the current events that we're going through uh, foreshadow or even point to what the Bible calls the last days before Christ himself returns? Now, without a doubt, I believe that the current events uh, point to several things that I think have a bearing on the last days. I don't know if they are direct indicators, but they certainly... I think, have a bearing on the last days. You know, in a very technical sense, I've taught you uh, over the years that we've been living in the last days since Jesus ascended to the Father. So we're living in the last days. But the clock, when does the clock run out? When does the expiration hour is the thing that we are to keep our eyes open to? Uh, and I think these events are teaching us uh, the importance of keeping our uh, our heads up, as Jesus said, lift up your, uh, your heads, your redemption draws near. And uh, what I do think that these events have at least pointed to in some sense regarding the last days is that they show us how quickly things can change. Amen? You know, the old proverbial, in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, we've seen in just literally, we've been in this now for about four months, but literally things changed in a matter of a couple of weeks. And it's shown us, these things have shown us how quickly things can change. And that is certainly going to be true uh, of the imminence of Christ and how quickly things around us can match up and line up with Scripture. I'll tell you what else these events have shown us. They've shown us how little things, how little things can dramatically affect our life. Little things like a virus that is so tiny you have to have a microscope to see that virus. But that one little virus has changed uh, things and has been a part of changing uh, our lives uh, rather dramatically. Uh, these events also show us how vulnerable we are, don't they? They show us that uh, no matter how powerful our nation is, uh, it shows us that we're not invincible. Think about it. One little thing has said, I'll show you who's really got the power. And so it's shown us how uh, vulnerable we are and certainly how we are personally and individually vulnerable. These events have also shown us how society can, can become socially unstable. And that, of course, is a concern because when a, a society becomes socially unstable, they become susceptible and easy prey for radical ideologies 
and those ideologies lead to a, a, a godless kind of worldview. Right now, America, in my view, is facing a storm of epic proportions as it wrestles with all of these things, as it wrestles with sickness and disease, as it wrestles with social unrest and injustices, and ever-growing and widening hostility to Christianity, the things of God. I couldn't help, uh, Tim, when we were singing those songs. Um, I remember growing up in elementary school, and they taught us every one of those songs. And a lot of us know those songs really because we learned them when we were uh, in elementary school. I don't think they teach those songs anymore in school. But we all learned those songs growing up. What, what has happened? The, the public square has been invaded by secularism. And as a result of that secular invasion, it has moved the worldview of a nation that is uh, was clearly founded on Judeo-Christian principles. It has moved away from that. And when that happens, there develops this kind of, uh, uh, at, at first, just simply distance from faith and religion. But eventually, it moves toward hostility. And we're moving towards severe hostility. Kelly Shackelford, the president, CEO, and chief counsel at First Liberty Institute writes, and I quote, hostility to religion in America is rising like floodwaters. Now, America has, I believe, several serious foundational cracks. And unless those cracks are addressed, it, they will take this nation to the ash bin of history. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure Americans understand the severity of these cracks. Uh, Americans want to survive. But to survive, you've got to do more than just try to, to, to get through it or ignore it. You've got to deal with these cracks. And if we don't, we will become another of the great, I believe, the greatest empire that has ever existed. But all of the previous great empires ceased to exist one day. Did you know most of them died? You know how they died? Not from outside invaders. They committed national suicide. America is moving toward national suicide unless there is a move of God to interrupt it. And, um, and that's why we have to take it serious. By the way, I'm not going to get in length in those kinds of things. The, the second message in this series uh, that I preached on the last days is called The Rise and Fall of Nations. And if you don't remember it, go back and get it or get the series. It's the first 12 messages are available. This will go in the second volume, the one I'm preaching today. But get those and listen to those and take that very seriously. Now, with that as kind of a setup, I want to ask you to stand with me this morning if you're physically able to do so. And I want to read to you from a passage in Joel. I want to read the text, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to kind of give you some context to help you understand what the prophet is writing about. Verse 12 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. 
assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Father, speak to us this morning. Uh, Help us, Father, to understand the lateness of the hour. Help us, Father, to grasp the hope that is ours in you. And Lord, turn our hearts and our eyes in this nation towards you. But Father, let it start with your people. This message is to your people. And so, Father, let it start with us. Let us never assume that because of your past goodness, it is promised for the future. And so, Father, help us to seek you with all our hearts. Speak through me and the words I share now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. The context of this passage is important to understand because the passage is talking about the coming day of the Lord. And if you will, uh, keep your Bibles open, but I want you to look over to verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 2, which I did not uh, read, but I, I wanted to read it to you now. Chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. That's the context, the coming day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord uh, is a term that is used throughout the Bible, New Old and New Testament. And it represents the ultimate expression of God's uh, wrath and judgment upon humanity and upon nations, by the way. And so the context here is the prophet is writing uh, to bring warning to the people of God. And the day of the Lord refers to this terrifying moment when judgment will fall. And uh, so it's important. In fact, I would say it's imperative that we understand Uh, what the day of the Lord is uh, all about. And so it starts off by saying, the prophet says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Uh, This is the picture. uh, We had a prayer ministry that for many years functioned here called the Watchman Prayer Ministry. And it's based out of the idea of the the ancient uh, 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 cities where there would be a watchman on the wall. And the watchman's uh, responsibility was to warn the people within the boundaries of the wall when they saw the enemy approaching. And that's the idea here, is that the watchman on the wall is to blow the warning uh, trumpet that the, uh, the day of God is coming, the impending wrath of God is coming. And as a result of that, he even says here that every citizen within the city should tremble with fear for the Lord's wrath was ready to explode upon the people. Now, without a doubt, Joel's message shook his audience, wouldn't you think? And it should shake us today. And it shook them because they felt secure. They were very prosperous at this time. They felt very secure. They were in their walled city. And they felt secure even in their worship. Did you notice at one point in the passage that we read, it says, rend your heart and not your garment Now, the reason that is said there is because they were going through religious motions. They would tear their garments to show a grief at something. But God said, no, it's deeper than that. You need to repent your heart. You need to return to God. And so they were doing the outward stuff. They felt secure in their prosperity. They felt secure in their worship. But keep in mind, 
They were worshiping false gods. You see, they mixed the worship of the Lord with the worship of the gods of man. What they had forgotten was that the Lord demanded that he and he alone be worshiped. It's still true. It's still true today. God still demands that he and he alone, the living and true God, be the only God that is worshiped. And yet we find ourselves today in modern America much like the, the children of Israel in their walled city, most likely referring to Jerusalem and their security and their prosperity, and yet they were worshiping many gods, not the God. And so Joel was proclaiming in this passage that the Lord would not continue to tolerate this kind of rebellion against him. The people had just gone too far. And therefore, he says, the day of the Lord, God's holy wrath was to fall upon the people. And the day of that wrath and danger was imminent. It was close at hand. Now, I have to tell you, when you look at America, you can't help but ask the question, how much longer will God wait? How much longer will God withhold his hand of wrath and judgment upon this nation? In Psalm 11, verse 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, the foundations of faith, the creeping secularism into even religious practice, the secularism in our nation that undermines those Judeo-Christian principles upon which this country was founded, if the foundations continue to be chipped away at, what can the righteous do? Now, I want to tell you next week, I'm going to tell you, I, I believe there's some things the righteous can still do. And I'll tell you up front, I still believe there's hope. I, I'm praying, I hope you're praying for a move of God. I do not believe that the answer is government. I think government has a responsibility, but I don't think they're going to pull, pull us out of uh, uh, the wrath of God. I do not think it's about the economy. I do not think it's even about the social uh, issues that we're facing. Those are all significant things in our culture. But friend, the solution to our culture, and I'll tell you more about it next week, is a move of God Almighty across this land. And uh, if that doesn't happen, we are hopeless people because all you're going to have is continued strife between warring parties and warring ideologies and warring worldviews until God becomes the worldview. In Florida, when we lived for 15 years, it was not unusual. And in our neighborhood, it was not unusual to see homes whose foundations were sinking. There's a lot of sand in Florida. And uh, it was not uncommon to pick up the newspaper on, on a daily basis and see a picture of some house that had dropped into a sinkhole as far away as Lakeland or uh, the more interior part of, of uh, Florida. So it wasn't unusual to see those things where the ground had shifted and, and had uh, shaken. It, I can remember numbers of homes in our neighborhood that had to be, uh, they had to bring in equipment to try to shore up the foundations. And it reminds me of the fact that Jesus told us a, a story about two houses. One was built on sand and one was built on the rock. And below, above the surface, they, they both looked the same. They both looked very good. But below the surface made all the difference. And you know the story, right? The winds blew and the rain beat upon the house that was built on the sand and it collapsed because there was no real structure. There was no bedrock underneath to hold it up. 
And of course, the one that stood on the the bedrock, the winds uh, blew and the rain pounded it, and it stood solid because the foundation is what is important and essential to a home uh, uh, surviving. Alice and I, we, we do understand that. You see, we bought a home some years ago and discovered that it had foundation issues. Uh, it had cracks. and You could see those cracks inside the house. And uh, if the foundation wasn't corrected, those cracks would eventually grow b- bigger and bigger and could uh, literally, at some point in time, it could cause a whole uh, a, a structure above ground to, to break. And so uh, they had to be fixed and they brought out... Uh, uh, equipment they dug out uh, up below, and then they took big timbers and they put those timbers. They jacked the house up, put timbers underneath, and shored the house up. The foundation probably stronger than it had ever been before. The timbers secured the foundation, and uh, there were no more problems. Today, I want to suggest that there is still hope in America, but I want to tell you our foundation is is cracking, and unless we address those cracks the foundation will eventually collapse. Uh, And by the way, we have to see what's going on in our nation today for what it really is. Uh, What's going on today is orchestrated first and foremost from the pit of hell. The Bible tells us that the devil is the prince and power of the air. Now, we see all the surface things, you know, all the issues that are going on out there socially and culturally and uh, even the pandemics and those sorts of things. Uh, But the ultimate source of anything bad in this world is the devil himself because he is the prince and power of the air. We have to understand what's going on for what it really is. The kingdom of hell is working. But God wants to unite us in Christ, and that's the kingdom work of God. Uh, this is more than sociological. This is, is, is spiritual war, and we'd better come together as God's born-again followers, whether we are red, yellow, black, and white, we better come together and understand the nature of what is going on or the enemy of our soul is going to rip us apart. And so I want to begin today by showing you what I believe are the four biggest foundational issues that our nation must address. And I want to give you scripture to support what I'm talking about. This isn't just my opinion. This is what we see happening or happened to Israel and how they were addressed in regard to these things. So I'm going to give you a number of scriptures and uh, listen uh, carefully to them. Now, I'm going to move through these in terms of, it's relative, but in terms of what I'm talking about, I don't have a lot of time. I could preach a message on every one of these cracks, but I'm just going to try to move through those and finish them up in about an hour or two. And you'll know I can do it. But let me give you the first one. The first serious crack, I believe, relates to the decisions of the courts. The decisions of the courts. I said I don't have time to go into great detail. There's just too much there. But just in the last two weeks, we have seen some tragic and arbitrary inconsistencies representing a dysfunction, I believe, in our Supreme Court. I believe our Supreme Court has now become a legislative court, making laws instead of interpreting 
the Constitution of the U.S. Let me give you two examples. The first uh, happened just uh, in the past two weeks. It's called Bostick versus Clayton County. In this ruling, the court redefined the 1964 Civil Rights Act to include sexual orientation and gender identity as civil rights issues. Now, that was never intended in the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And if I were one of those that were uh, a part of the, the, uh, the 64 Civil Rights Act, I'd be incensed at how they have vitiated the intentions of the original Civil Rights Act. But now uh, they say that sex, as it relates to the 64 Civil Rights Act, uh, includes orientation, identity, however you want to define yourself. Now, here are the implications of that. The implications have serious ramifications to Christian and religious colleges and universities. Not yet to the church, but it will down the road. Not yet to the church, but it will down the road. There are already forces behind the scene that are attempting to move this toward even the church of God, which in effect says you cannot, you, if your convictions as a religious university or college um, uh, are that you want to live by your convictional statement of beliefs, you can't apply those if you, uh, to people of gender identities or sexual orientations that go against your convictional religious beliefs. Now, I serve on, as a, on the board of trustees for a, a Christian college, and as soon as this was ruled, we received, all of us trustees received, a three-page document about the concerns that the college has about what, will, uh, what they will, the government will try to enforce upon them in the future. And by the way, the decision was 6-3, uh, and the majority opinion was joined by what we're told are conservative justices Neil Gorsuch and Chief John Roberts, who I'm not sure we can any longer say is a conservative. But those two conservative justices joined the liberals to form the 6-3 majority in that decision. A second decision that occurred uh, in the last two weeks is called June Medical Services versus Russo. And in that, the court struck down a Louisiana law that would have required abortion doctors to have admitting privileges to a nearby hospital. Now, let me tell you why. Uh, that law was enacted so that a doctor who performs an abortion, if it, something goes wrong and the health of the mom uh, needs immediate emergency medical care, that they had to have privileges to a nearby hospital so they could get that woman to a hospital and get care. But if, if this law said you don't, even, you don't have to have admitting privileges so it doesn't matter. So if a woman needed uh, medical attention from a botched abortion and they needed to get her to the hospital and the hospital's two streets over and he doesn't have admitting credentials, he can't admit her there. And, uh, and so this, uh, this uh, law was struck down that says you don't have to have admitting credentials anymore for any uh, hospital in particular. And, and, and once again, Chief Justice John Roberts uh, sided with the more liberal justices. And uh, I tell you, one of, the, one of the tragic things is it probably indicates that um, there's little hope that Roe v. Wade will be overturned under Chief Justice uh, John Roberts' tenure. 
And many had hoped that that, uh, that law would be overturned under the Supreme Court this time around. You say, well, why is that important? Well, because in 1973, Roe v. Wade uh, made legal abortion in America. Since that time, 63 million babies have been aborted. They didn't have a choice. 63 million babies have been murdered. Now listen to me in here this morning. Please hear me say something. If you had an abortion, this isn't about you. If you had an abortion, this isn't about judgment. Uh, uh, If you had an abortion, this isn't about condemnation. Um, I want you to know that God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness is available to you like any other of us who needs because of our own sins. All right? So please know that. We love you. This is not a statement of condemnation. It is, however, a statement of fact. 63 million little ones have been sacrificed for the gods of this world. And my point is this. The courts have allowed that, and it points to the fact of a wayward and a godless legal provision that has produced a moral crack in the foundations of our nation. And God will judge our nation for it. How do I know that? Well, listen to what God said to Israel for doing it. In Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 35, it says, They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnon, to offer up, listen, their sons and daughters to Molech. Then God says, though I did not command them, nor did it ever enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Deuteronomy 12 and verse 31 says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, the way of the pagans. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. These are two passages. There are 15 passages or more that talk about this very thing where God says, it never entered my mind for you to sacrifice your kids to the, to the altars of the pagan world. So you see, court decisions either reflect the value of God's kingdom and or the Judeo-Christian principles upon which they were founded. You say, but you know, we're different. We're away from there's so many other religions. Listen, listen to me tell you something. If you go to the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., you'll have to pass through two doors, wooden doors, with the Ten Commandments engraved upon them. Tell me one more time that this nation didn't base its laws out of the commandments of God's book. All law in this country had its starting place there. 
you say, well, the speed limit? Well, let me give you an example since you ask. Yes. How in the world does the speed limit, how is that a moral law descendant from the commandments of God? Let me tell you how. <clears throat> because they don't want you driving 105 miles an hour on, on a highway because you may wreck and kill somebody. You say, well, that just is the risk of driving, right? Do you know why we have speed limits? Because the Bible says that man, will, thou shalt not murder, number one, and man is created in the image of God. So you see, if you are reckless in a vehicle and you murder someone with it, you are essentially violating the law of God. So the point is that we had to have these laws to regulate and create boundaries. So the next time somebody says to you this line, you can't regulate morality. Huh. Every law you have on the books is about regulating morality. It may not always be correct because it may be a, 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 a morality that is not consistent with the Bible. But it all started here. Am I making sense? Does that make sense? It started here. So the courts, their decisions and rulings, and by the way, in my view, that's why, why elections are important. If for no other reason than the courts. Because today you live in a culture where the courts, they make law. They no longer interpret law. Well, that's crack number one. Crack number two, what is it? The decision to deconstruct history or the deconstruction of history. Now listen carefully to this. Now for some time in America, radical elements have been attempting to rewrite American history. I've been talking about that almost as long as I've been your pastor, about the revision of, uh, of American history, writing God out of it, writing parts uh, into it that, that radicals want in there. This radical element has been attempting to rewrite American history, to deconstruct it and build it in such a way that it eliminates those very foundations, Judeo-Christian foundations that I talked about, and to replace it with completely godless and secular narratives for history. I read a column this past week uh, in the Wall Street Journal written by Archbishop of New York, Timothy Cardinal Dolan. I like him. And uh, listen how he framed what's going on. He said, quote, Defacing, tearing down, and hiding statutes and portraits is today's version of Puritan book burning. Our children need to know their country's past, its normative figures, and their virtues and their vices. That's how we learn and pass on our story. Is there any more effective way to comprehend America's history of racism than by reading the racism in Huckleberry Finn? Or one of Flannery O'Connor's short stories, works of literature, both of these classics now ominously on the chopping block. You see, a major problem in America today is that we are not really teaching history anymore. Nor are we teaching our kids civics. Y'all know what civics are? I had several classes in civics alone when I was coming up through school. You know what civics is? It's government. 
And, and you need to know government so you can determine what's the difference between socialism or communism or fascism. But we're not teaching our kids this. We're not teaching our students real history anymore. And ironically, a great many of those who are engaged in what is now being termed cancel culture, many of those engaged in that and in the destruction of monuments don't even know history. They're just trying to rewrite the narrative. They're leftists. They're not legitimate protesters. They're anarchists. And they are, they are taking advantage of a legitimate concern and they're capitalizing in order, in order to advance an agenda that is completely secular and godless and unhistorical. The destruction, for example, of history's monuments is a perfect example of that. Now listen closely. I didn't say that every monument represents flawless individuals. But tearing monuments down does not change history. History is filled with the good, the bad, and the ugly. That ought to be a movie. <laughs> and by the way, if this is the new norm, to tear down monuments to flawed individuals, if this is the new norm, don't ever let them build a monument to you because somebody will come along down the road and they'll figure out something that you did that you shouldn't have done and they'll tear you down. But it's gotten downright bizarre. I don't have time to go through all this, but just listen to some of the, the bizarreness of it. And I, I only tell you this because it represents, it represents the ignorance of a culture that doesn't know its history. For example, uh, there's been a move to tear down all the statutes of Ger General Ulysses S. Grant, a man who led the Union armies to liberate slavery. There's a statue of Hans Christian Haig located near the Capitol, and he was an anti-slavery activist. Uh, he was a member of an anti-slavery militia, and his statue was torn down. Then you've heard about the Emancipation Monument, I assume. They've had to put a fence around it and have had to post military guard to keep it from being destroyed. And here's interesting facts about the Emancipation Monument. It was built with a donation of former slaves. And it was dedicated on the 11th anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's death. And guess who dedicated it? One of the great national, I believe, heroes, Frederick Douglass, to 25,000 people who attended. And yet, there are those trying to tear it down. And then here is my favorite bizarre example. There is a move, has been a move in New Orleans <laughs> to tear down the statue of Joan of Arc, who was not even an American nor was she involved in the Confederacy in any way. But spray-painted across <laughs> Joan of Arc's uh, monument was, tear it down. Now, <clears throat> if monuments are going to be torn down, let me just insert here something. Why hasn't someone made a move to tear down the statue of Margaret Sanger? You know who Margaret Singer is? 
She is the founder of Planned Parenthood. And in the early days of uh, Planned Parenthood, she vocalized her effort to, quote, exterminate the black population. Her words, not mine. And she was so concerned that her efforts would be found out. In other words, that she would be discovered for her real agenda, which was an attempt, as she would say, to sterilize what she called the racially unfit, the black population in America. And so she penned an infamous letter to Clarence Gamble in 1939 expressing her intention to partner with black church leaders to keep the community ignorant about her claimed uh, project. And this is what she said in that letter, and I quote, We do not want word to go out, or we don't want the word to get out, that we want to exterminate the black population. And the minister is the man, she writes, The black minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. You see what she was saying? She said, we'll use the black church leaders. We'll manipulate them. We'll pay them off. We'll do that kind of thing so that if any of the black community rises up to say, wait a minute, you're trying to exterminate our race, the, the pastors in the black churches will, will settle them down and say, no, that's not what's going on. Now, you never hear this talked about, do you? Have you ever heard this talked about? You don't hear this talked about because Planned Parenthood does not want you to know it. They don't want you to know the nefarious beginnings uh, of the organization. I believe there's a better way. I put this in my, I finished this message earlier in the week. So I want you to know that. And there's a reason why. I told my wife about it too. I said, I think there's a better way. I think instead of tearing down our history and tearing down monuments, you know what we ought to be doing? We ought to be putting up monuments to men and women that we say, well, these are heroes. I didn't know that the president was going to announce last night that he had signed an executive order to create a national garden of heroes. And I had put in my sermon, we ought to be putting the monuments up to Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and uh, Abraham Lincoln and, and uh, scores of, of all-race heroes. And he announced last night that that's exactly what they're going to do. I think that's a better way. Hello? Than tearing everything down, let's put the heroes up. And let's say, these are the heroes. Let's focus on the heroes. That's a better way. How about putting a monument up to Phyllis Wheatley? Not many people know who Phyllis Wheatley is. 11 years after her emancipation in 1784, at the age of 31, Wheatley achieved the distinct honor of being the first African-American female poet to be published in America. She had been born in West Africa. She had been sold into slavery in the 1760s, and she later became a Christian. And by the way, out of her 145 poems, most all of them referred to her faith in Christ. By the way, there is, there is only one person, if you're going to put up perfect monuments, there's only one person that, that you can put one up to, and that's Jesus. And by the way, there's a move to tear his down now. The deconstruction, listen, that is all said to show you that the deconstruction and the revisionism of history 
that's been going on for over two decades in, in seriousness. But the recent, recent events have, have, have allowed some radical leftists to hijack and create directions that are incredibly dangerous for this nation. It is a dangerous thing for a nation to forget its history, good, bad, and indifferent. It is a dangerous thing. George Santiano famously said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. An African-American inspirational speaker, Cynthia Patterson, she added a bit to that. I like what she said. Those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat it. And then she adds, you have to expose who you are so that you can determine what you need to become. Listen, when Israel forgot its history, it forgot who it was. It forgot where it had come from. It forgot the victories God had given them over their enemies and over their difficulties and their trials and their victory over slavery. It it forgot what God had brought them through, what he had delivered them out of, and it kept them from seeing why they should trust God for their future. I believe that's why the devil wants our history banished. Because if you can banish history, you forget where you came from. You forget who your God was. You forget what he did for you. Uh, And that makes it hard for a country to trust him with their future. Israel forgot their history, and it led them away from God. And subsequently, it brought about the discipline of God on their nation. In Deuteronomy 32, 18, Deuteronomy 32, 18, the Scripture says, You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. That's God talking to his people. You say, Pastor, why do you address this to the church? Because I want to tell you something. The hope of our nation is Christ Jesus, but he will operate through his people. So we got to get it right, people. Uh, We've got to understand and we've got to live it and get it right. Jeremiah 18, 15, listen, but my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways, in the ancient roads, and to walk into side roads, not the highway. Did you catch that? Both of those, and by the way, I had to pick uh, from uh, which scripture would I share with you uh, about that. There's so many times where it talks about Israel forgetting God and wandering off of the way and into a new way and, and to a, a way that took them away from God. The history of this nation is rooted in the commands of God. This nation is littered with sin. This nation's imperfect. But the bad eras of history must be reminders that we are sinners and why we need God. And the good in our history must remind us of how God can use us to be lights not only in this nation but all over the world. So I say to you this morning, it's a crack. Be wary of those who would try to erase history by destroying the symbols of history. Like Paul, we must move beyond our past history, but we must never forget it. Now you say, well, Paul said, I forget the things in the past. You know what, you know what that word means in the Greek? It means I leave them behind. I hadn't scrubbed them out of my mind. And he said, I go forward 
But Paul always knew what a bad dude he was because he testified before governors and council, and, and he would say, let me tell you what I was like before Christ. Back there, that old me is what Christ redeemed. My history is what Christ redeemed. I, I can, I, if I look back, I, I'm ashamed, but I can't ignore it, and I can't change it, but I can go forward because of it. So let me give you a third crack. A third crack, I believe, in America's foundation, and that is despising of free speech. Now, you may not understand where we are in this, but this is very serious. One of the bedrock constitutional rights is the freedom of speech. It, along with religious freedom, is in the very first amendment to the Constitution. Your ability to speak freely, your ability to congregate uh, for your faith. Those are guaranteed. First Amendment, Bill of Rights, the 10 Bill of Rights. Many people don't even know those. And it is guaranteed right there at the very beginning of the Constitution. Yet in America, speech is becoming more and more restrictive. In fact, we're now at a place that when you speak on a subject that is sensitive or controversial, you have to overly clarify what you are saying. But that's not even enough now. Not only must you overly clarify what you are saying, you now must also clarify what you are not saying. And even that's not good enough for many. Now, why has that crack happened in our foundation in America? It has happened because we no longer have a standard for right and wrong. You see, these cracks are all related somewhere or somehow to our submission to God Almighty. And what happens is when, when you don't have a standard for right or wrong, everyone can claim offense at anything that makes them uncomfortable. Because everybody does what is right in their own eyes, as the Scripture says. And so, so you have freedom until I don't like your freedom. You have freedom to you. And by the way, uh, Christians, it works both ways. You have freedom, though, until your freedom offends me, and then you no longer have freedom. And, and, so, and now what the cultural left elitists have done is they have captured a phrase that they apply, and it's called hate speech. So if there's something that we can twist or something we don't like, we will designate it hate speech. And then you've got to shut up because we've decided it's hate speech. That's the big label. And by the way, if you study history and you study the history of re, uh, repressive regimes, you will see one thing consistently common in all of them, and that is the attempt to silence free speech, especially if they don't have answers for it. A truth speaking. And there are increasing examples of speech restriction now being evidenced on most of the social media platforms in this country, especially if the speech is not sympathetic to leftward causes or agendas. Now listen, there are people that are, that are being censored by some of the social media for posting scripture verses and attaching a statement with it. There are sermons that are being 
removed from social media. The kind of sermon I'm preaching right now is the kind of sermon that very well could be removed or labeled harmful. Listen to this. In one city, a pastor decided that he would gather people from his congregation. They were Anglo, they were African American, they were Asian American, they were Hispanic Americans, and he gathered them and he said, let's go down to one of the areas where the protesting has been happening and let's, let's lead a praise and worship service. And so they did, and they filmed it, and they put it on one of the social media sites and listened to what the social media site did. Came back and labeled it this video contains content that may be harmful. Praise and worship. Praise and worship. Uh, we're seeing the evidence of these things already uh, in our culture. The Bible says that in the last days that people will gather to themselves, literally heap to themselves, communicators that will tickle their ears. Say what we want you to say, say what fits, and we'll all be good. Y'all got to listen real fast. I've got to hurry up. But here's the problem. The problem with truth is that it's not always easy to swallow, and it might require that I change. It, it may say, no, what you're doing is not acceptable. We love you. We speak the truth in love, but that's not acceptable. But you can't say that without risking being censored in this culture. You know, Paul addressed the Galatians. And by the way, this is a message that needs to be said to churches too that are not speaking the truth either. Paul had a message to the Galatians. They, they were, um, well, I mean, they were living out of the will of God. And he, he, he writes and he corrects them. And, and listen to what he says when he corrects them. Uh, it, it made them mad. And so he says in Galatians 4.16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? It made him mad. He told them the truth. Is that, is that America today? Let me ask you something. Is that our church today? You spoke the truth. I don't like the truth. I had a man leave several years ago from this congregation, and he told one of the ushers as he was leaving, he says, I'm going to go, and he told him what church he was going to. I'm not going to say that. I, that's irrelevant to me. But he said, they don't make me feel uncomfortable. The preacher doesn't make me feel uncomfortable when he preaches. The usher asked me, what do you think what I'll do? I said, let him go. I said, did y'all escort him out? I said, because I'm going to preach what the, the Scripture says, but I know this is going to make some people mad. There are going to be people, perhaps, that view this message, if it is allowed or not labeled, and it, it potentially could make them mad. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Speaking about God and and for God can get you into a lot of trouble today. And today's approach, you know what it is? If you, if you speak in those terms, the, the approach is simply to label you and then to shoot the messenger. Shoot the messenger so he, he, he can't or she can't bring a message of truth. The church must not be silent, but there may be a cost. I believe there will be. And we must also speak up for those who cannot speak. The unborn. Uh, Proverbs 31, for others, open your mouth for the mute, for the uh, rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. 
That, that's our task. You see, a nation that restricts speech will eventually take away other freedoms, like their religious freedom. But here's the last uh, serious crack in America's foundation that I give you. <clears throat> Y'all don't have Sunday school, so just don't worry about it. And it's this, denial of biblical truth. Denial of bib biblical truth. Like American history or not, as I've said already, its founders understood the importance of Scripture and the Ten Commandments. And it understood that as the standard for law. Um, I've got so many books on American history uh, in my library. And I came across a quote from John Quincy Adams as I was preparing. He was the sixth president, not the second. This is the, you know, the son. And he delivered it on the 4th of July. Listen, and I quote, John Quincy Adams, 4th of July. Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior? That it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact or contract on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon the earth. In other words, we were formed, the very root of our formation was based on the mission of the Redeemer to take the gospel into all the world. Amen. That's what he's saying. And then he adds that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Wow. And there, you know what? There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these statements from our founders. I didn't just say our founders, see, have to over-clarify. I didn't just say all our founders were godly men. But I will say this, the founders understood what John Quincy Adams said and reiterated, reiterated, Thomas Jefferson was a deist. And yet he understood that the law of God had to be the basis for the law of a nation. On and on I could go. But listen to what God said in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 28. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished it is cut off from their lips. Why? They didn't obey. Truth perished. In America today, truth is perishing because we no longer know the truth. Everyone decides what their truth is. Have you heard that phrase? Well, my truth is. By the way, let me create. There's only one truth in the universe. The truth established by God. And he became living flesh, the Bible says. And so Jesus said this, I am the truth. In the Greek, there's the definite article. I am the truth, the way, the life. And it means this, I'm not a truth. I'm not your truth. I am the one and only truth. If you want to know truth, know me. But when the word of God is denied... The consequences are manifest. 
In Hosea, the prophet writes in chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Does that sound like the day you're living in? When he says there's no faithfulness or steadfast, no knowledge of God in the land? And listen to what Jesus said in John 8, 42 and following. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. That's what Jesus said to his followers. Listen, America is in trouble because it has exchanged the truth of God for the lies of the liar. And so is it too late? Well, Joel said there's hope. And I believe there's hope. Joel said there's hope if we will return to God. Joel said there's hope uh, that, that God will relent and turn back in grace toward us. There is hope. But we have to understand where we are, and we have to take it very seriously. I was praying this past week, and I was praying for our nation. I'm burdened. I know you are too. I'm burdened. I'm burdened. And as I'm praying, I thought, God, this is a time to call the people of God together for prayer, not just to say, y'all be praying, y'all be praying. And God put on my heart, we need to gather, the, uh, we need to gather our, our folks, as many who will come, and I don't know how many that will be. And so on, on July the 15th, that's a Wednesday night from 6 to 7, I'm calling us to a, a prayer summit. And we're not going to pray uh, for everything out there. We're, we're going to pray about, for about three or four things specifically. And I think we got enough room for you to spread out and pray. Uh, but I think we need to pray. I think we need to say, God, we'll turn back. God, show us our place to free you up, to restore our nation. My concluding question today is this for you. Not is our nation, has our nation turned, but have you turned? You see, before a, a move of God happens, it doesn't suddenly just a mass of people start moving for God. It starts happening by individual lives, one life at a time. God moves upon a life. God moves upon a life and moves upon a life. And by the way, that becomes contagious. So have you turned? Have you turned to him? And if not, will you? Would you bow your head and close your eyes, no one looking about? 
Those of you who are joining us by live stream, I issue the same challenge to you. Have you turned? Have you turned to God? And not just being religious, the people Joel talked about had been religious, but have, have you established a personal relationship with Christ, the only one that can bring hope into your life? And by the way, if nothing ever happens uh, to turn our nation back, you can turn your life back to God. You can turn your life over to God. And you can do it right now. If you've never trusted him, pray a prayer. Call out to him in your heart. Say something like this, Lord Jesus I know you love me, that you died for my sins on the cross. And right now, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need you, and I know I can't solve my sin problem. So I thank you that you died for it. And I invite you to be my Savior right now. Lord, I thank you for those watching us from all over the place and and in this building, Father, who are calling out to you today, I pray that you will hear that call. As you promised, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, save these who have called upon you today. And Lord, cause them to allow you to begin that new birth work, growing them, changing them, healing them. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.